0: Welcome to the Speaking of Influence podcast with virtual business speaker, presentation skills, and influence coach, John Ball. Remember to like and subscribe. The Speaking of Influence podcast is uploaded and distributed using Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout makes it really easy to get your podcast started and out to a wide audience with lots of tips and useful tools to help you on your way. If you're interested, check the link in the show notes and start your podcast today. Welcome back to the show. If you are returning, if you're here for the first time, then great to have you joining us. Today, my guest is going to be someone very interesting and some kind of person I haven't spoken to before. And I'm really excited because this is someone who used to be a college football player, and then became a football coach, and probably even got quite a good reputation for that around the Houston area as well, and has gone from that into entrepreneurship, public speaking, you know, motivational speaking, writing a book. In fact, he's here today to talk about his new book, which is winning the first quarter of the day. Please welcome to the show, Coach Cam. John, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I've really been looking forward to speaking to you. Uh, When we first got in contact, you sent me a a lot of information about things you've been doing, and you have such an incredible resume of what you've been doing. And and one of the things that really stood out for me was that you started your first business or hustle, as you call it, at the age of nine.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I I did. I started off
0: uh, uh, cutting
1: grass, and so this was, you know, the mid to early nineties before landscaping, I'd say was a residential landscaping. was like a formal industry, um, which I think, you know, seeking opportunity is a whole different conversation, right? I mean, somebody, some adult at 20, hopefully cornered the market (laughs) when I was nine. Right. But so at nine years old, I just remember in the summer, um, you know, wanting money, I, I didn't grow up having everything I wanted, but certainly, you know, my needs were met, right? But just wanting money and never really being comfortable asking, um, I, I didn't. I still, don't to this day, like hearing no, and so just figured it'd be easier for me just to to tie a lawnmower to my bicycle and and knock on my neighbor's door. And you know, you look back now, it's less about the servant the skill, but learning how to hear no, and so you know, like some people say yes but obviously more people said no than yes and you know from that you learn and you iterate which is a term that you know adults use that kids don't and you figure stuff out as a kid then you add a, a bucket and soap and a sponge and you know while i'm here can i wash your car and you know just just trying to figure stuff out you know trying to figure stuff out but but at a young age
0: yeah. And that entrepreneurial spirit has stayed with you and that grown and uh, manifested in, in different ways in your life now.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, so that, that was my first kind of tinker with, with, you know, entrepreneur, the entrepreneurial deal from there, I started, uh, a, a paper route and I got suspended one time, one time in high school. I, uh, I used to have a backpack with my books and learning tools on my back, and I used to keep a backpack with chips and cookies and just junk uh, that I'd sell. I'd, I'd peddle between classes for the kids too lazy. So like the, I think the you know the vending machine would maybe be you know a dollar, and and I'd have I'd have mine for a dollar twenty five or a dollar fifty, you know, just kind of charging a convenience tax, and and I'd go to the the. Costco or Sam's, you know, club store in the weekends to to re up and and uh, our assistant principal, who was a, was a kind woman, but she was like, you know, you, you can't do that. Okay, I'll stop, I'll stop, and I go to another hallway. And
0: sure enough, one day she caught me, and you know, I was like, yeah, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> you always, you always found your ideas. You always had your ways of uh, looking for an opportunity, and. Uh, so you grew up then into getting, training into football. I mean, was that uh, was that a passion from an early age as well for you?
1: You know, um, I my athletic experience was a bit atypical for a Texan, right? So, like most kids in the youth space, like start football at literally three years old, four. Um, I didn't really play until I got to middle school. So uh, a lot of my foot a lot of my love for sport came from the transferable skills that i was able to apply in real life right so being able to handle pressure being able to test well being able to hold teammates accountable pick up the slack for teammates and so what i'd say is it it was less about my organic passion for the sport and really more of an obligation um you know the coaches I had in my life have been very good to me. And and I think that when you look at coaches and educators and teachers, I kind of had more than my fair share of very good coaches. And so a lot of it for me was, you know, you're out of school, you're trying to figure things out, you know, where do you have some area of proficiency and where is a place that you can create an instant impact? And I kind of married those together.
0: Mm. Is it the coaches that you had then in your own football career that um, inspired you to move into the coaching area? Yeah. So I, uh, so my position coach
1: um, at the University of Houston's name is Clancy Barone. And, um, you know, you spend with your head coach, you spend a little amount of time with the head coach. You spend some time with your offensive coordinator. You spend a lot of time with your position coach. And, and this this coach um, you know he went by the the word coach he was a sensei he was a teacher, he was a philosopher um and he used football as his muse but he he just taught life, and so you know kind of again, I think that understanding now in retrospect, I was so disproportionately advantaged that i I never Truly, I had teammates, people you play against, who after you know four years of playing, knew a lot of football, but under under the tutelage of Coach Marone, you knew a lot of football and you knew a lot of life, and that was kind of the lens that I went into coaching with. And so, you know, again, you kind of look at you know a, a peer. You know, five years out of playing, or five years into their coaching career, and they're just learning that. Oh yeah, there's some life skills in this sport. I went into it understanding that you know teaching, teaching accountability of meeting a time you know on you know on a football field and, and conditioning has to do with conditioning. It also has to do with fortitude and composure and you know group accountability, and so you know yeah it just it just gave me a different it gave me a different filter but i didn't understand that filter until i began to have success coaching
0: yeah it's, it's interesting that people have often asked me like where, where my own journey into personal development began. And, and I certainly initially used to say that like, when I first got introduced to the concept of coaching as, as a career, uh, not football coaching for me, mine was more personal development coaching when I first started into. But really, um, my first introduction to coaching came much earlier than that in martial arts classes. I used to do kickboxing and kung fu a long time ago now, but uh, but, I moved into other martial arts later in life as well. But one thing I've always realized is that the principles from those classes and from the sifus and masters who I would learn from and still do learn from have always been very applicable in, in so much of life. And so it seems that you found that very similar as well in your own experience that that was what you were learning there was stuff that was transferable into your life and into business and other areas that the principles were the, the key part.
1: Yes. I, I think that what you said is so true. And, and I think that you, you put it better and more concise than, 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 I've ever thought about it. You know, I consider athletics an external educational system. Um, You know, you you drop your your son off at Sunday school. You don't watch him practice his his scriptures. You drop your daughter off at violin practice. You don't listen, you know, you don't sit and listen to her practice. You typically go on about your way. Athletics is the only place where, you know, practice is an external thing. And practice, as you know, is the adjective for failure, right? So it's like we we watch our, our favorite athletes. We watch our college athletes. We watch our youth athletes fail time and time and time and time again. And, you know, when you get tested, the other side of getting tested is, you know, when you fail a, a, a math test, you know, your teacher is the only person who sees your score. When you, you know, when you metal in an orchestra or violin, you know, you get that sheet with your, with your score on it. That, that's an internal thing. When you, when you test in athletics, everyone sees it, no matter what, again, individual sport, team sport. Um, and so it, creates or it it kind of it plants uh an adversity ticker inside of you but it also plants a resolve ticker inside of you and I think that's why you know we've seen the stats like 90% of you know Fortune 500 companies are run by former Division and athletes in the C-suites yeah. and you know it, it's the ability not just to perform under pressure and kind of cliches but it's the understanding that you know shareholders, uh investors, uh, Teammates, employees, all expect consistently high performance from me. And because I know how to perform consistently
0: externally, I can perform even, you know, with an even stronger resolve internally. At, at what point for you then did you make the decision or you even have the realization or, or at the same time make the decision to start applying these sorts of tools and principles to, to business, to life, and to take them outside of the football arena?
1: Yeah, so that's a really good question. I think that as a a, um, competitive person, I feel like the word competitive kind of goes, it has, I think, such a negative connotation today, right? So like a true competitor, you know, has an internal fire first. It's not, let me find, you know, it's a picture of the of the, the two, three year olds that are racing and like the other kids too busy to looking the other lane, right? So, like, I don't define competitor that way. But, you know, it became an issue for me of like, what can I bring to the table that others can't? And, you know, again, like I, at 25, 26, wherever you are in your, you know, space, or really when you are, are understanding what it means to be a professional or an adult, you know, you're looking for that edge. And that's typically when you begin to, you know, take that journey of, of growth, of, um, development or, or of specialization there's, you know, I mean, there's a number of different paths to reaching like higher performance. And so you kind of look inside of you and you figure out like, okay, I'm, um, on board with my peers when it comes to, you know, the technical or tactical part of this job or task or duty or even life. Right. Um, but what do I have inside of me? That I can bring, not necessarily that other people don't have, but you know, what else do I have inside of me? And that's when the character education piece, that's when you know the servant leader piece, that's when the growth mindset piece, you know, really began to show resolve. And and what happens is, you know, in the workspace especially, you just begin to do things differently. And so one of the things that I started to do, um, I'd say, you know, in my early to mid twenties was. Anytime time that I worked in a professional corporate setting, I would spend like the first 90 minutes of my Friday writing these emails called attitude of gratitude. And anybody, I just keep just a journal on my desk, anybody who I came across, you know, in an office, in an organization, outside of organization who either left an impact on me or just was available for me. So, so the delivery guy who was able to rush the order or, uh, you know, the person in accounting who who covered a mistake or pointed out a mistake to me, right? And so, or accounts payable, whatever the example may be, just just jotting a short note. And so, you know, Judy, here's your attitude of gratitude on a Friday. You know, thanks for, you know, having that note. Here's my favorite Stevie Wonder song. I hope it lights your day up the same way that, you know, that, that I enjoy listening to. Just short, right? So it's not about writing a diatribe or whatever, but just here's a little spark to help you along your day
0: on you know everybody's favorite day of the work week <laughs> yeah, yeah it's uh it's the kind of thing that uh i think gary venichuk talks about a little bit uh there, just about giving back something personal and someone someone does something good for you not just the sort of bog standard thank you or bog standard gift but actually something that you thought about or something that's intended to to light up people's day i really like that and uh but you know recognition of uh of the good things that people do for you is really important it seems for, for me from everything I've seen from your your impressive resume that you've taken on a mission in life. What would you describe that mission as for yourself at the moment? Yes.
1: Um, so so the mission has evolved. I, uh, I, I'll try to answer this question as concisely as I possibly can. A couple of years ago, I began doing some, some work with the Clinton Foundation and I had a chance to hear President Clinton speak I was invited to the presidential library in Little Rock, Arkansas. And, you know, so number one, what an amazing experience to hear a person, an orator at that skill level speak, even in this age. I mean, he's he's up there in age still, but amazing. He said something that stuck with me. And he said, if you commit to serving others, that you'll you'll go into it trying to solve X, but you'll soon realize that the problem is Y. And so Early on, my commitment was to provide resources for, you know, children and families of, you know, in unders- underserved pockets. And typically I did it through the vehicle of sports. And then from there, it was like, OK, well, you know, if I can provide a relief or a resource for a kid athletically, you know, that's actually the end product. Right. So then it became understanding what kids need, you know, from an academic and educational standpoint which then kind of turned into, you know, what does his his family's home life look like? And so, you know, in that metamorphosis kind of outlined the programming I would do, you know, the sports camps, providing resources for girls and teaching them how to play flag football, but then you get deeper. I was like, wait a minute, like what does the kid have on his table? So then, you know, we started the Turkey drive. And from there we started, you know, giving out many or micro scholarships just to kind of help kids first, and their family go to college. And then you kind of take a step back and, and you're, you know, you kind of look at what you built and you're almost out of gas. Like i have I'm, I'm still at the base. Like I haven't even created an, an, uh, any type of, of, of impact in this big mountain of, of areas of, mm-hmm. Of that need change and and you begin to, to add your business acumen into it, and you kind of refine it's almost like synthesizing a song right so like you you understand you know the top level then you understand what you need to add on top of it then you understand like no there's layers and so then you for me at least I began to have some some business success which gave me access to more capital and I started my sports construction company, and you know the the methodology behind it actually is to provide you know, spin off revenue and capital to to fund these these um philanthropic endeavors. And then you realize that like, wait a minute, like if I'm honest enough with myself, not this is what I do and why I do it, but actually what I do on a day in a day basis can serve, you know, all of these needs. And so I kind of, you know, the the mantra I have is um inspire, advance, evolve. And You know, it sounds like some term that a marketing group came up with, but what it does for me is it makes it very easy to say no. Right. And so if it doesn't meet that criteria, then it's not it's outside of of what I do. And so if it doesn't inspire, advance, evolve, or if I'm not as a servant doing those three things, um,
0: then, you know, it's probably not a good fit. Yeah, I really like what you're saying about and you essentially created the business that was going to support the philanthropy that you wanted to do. Very often, you know, I've been doing coaching and I've been coaching for over 15 years and, and the last, certainly over the last 10 years, that's been pretty much full time. And time and time again, I encounter clients who want to do really worthy work. Often they're doing coaching or consulting or philanthropic endeavors. Um, but they are not really considering they're just considering the good work rather than that that work needs to be funded for it to make a big difference and i can appreciate what you're saying about feeling sort of stuck in the bottom of that because you know, funding is such an important part of that whether you're raising that capital yourself or, or getting the sponsorship or investment to be able to do that so many people don't realize the reason why they're sort of stuck in the lower levels is because they're targeting for their business people who aren't really able to pay for it whilst the work is worthy they still need to be able to fund their endeavors and to be able to grow and develop from there so for me that's a really uh, valuable part that you that you talked about in your own story that I think people can and hope hopefully will learn from and take forward as well but also, To have some principles to live by, I think that is a a key part that I often will talk about in my own public speaking work, that people generally don't seem to get taught principles as much these days and don't often have their own personal principles to live by. And so for you, that's important. I know my principles are important, but most people, if you ask them, what are the principles that you live by, would not really be able to tell you, right?
1: yeah and and, you know um yes and without those principles you're literally you know a a mouse scattering from here to there to there to there which again is a part of the process right so you know I, i say that saying like i've been there before um and you know principles give you the framework and it's less about the framework of what to say no to but more about creating almost like an inverse funnel of what you want to attract, you know, what you want to come into your life. And, you know, for me, um, it was a series of very honest conversations and it started with, and I'm one of those guys, you know, I have no problem addressing my my weaknesses. In fact, most times when I onboard staff or, you know, bring folks in, like I start there. And, you know, for me, it was, I'm transparent and willing to share my weaknesses Um, or at least acknowledge them. And that kind of helped me etch out what my strengths were. So as an entrepreneur, I'm a creative. And and you think about it from, you know, even going back to that nine-year-old story of cutting grass, like, you know, it was just a hunch, right? Let me just go figure it out. And so, um, you know, understanding that where most people see their strengths, they're blind to, those are other people's weaknesses. And so to be able to inspire, and then, you know, for me, that's where it started and because i am you know we talk kind of offline about reading and growing because i do enjoy the art of learning so much um you know that it does begin to you know the 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 advanced part comes from you know staying in the full seat right so kind of going back to your experience in martial arts you know one of the biggest principles of martial arts is always remaining a student you know even if you are the sense say remaining a student and then you know the evolved thing was you know really i think i took the the biggest part of the evolve was 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 my physical evolution right so i did play football you know i'm like six four i played at like 245 250 but, you know, I have ballooned up to 300 pounds as as recently as 2017. And, you know, when you take the inspire part and you add the advanced part, you know, when you put those two together, the end product is actually, it's, it's actually an equation, right? So advanced plus inspire equals evolve. Right. And so as I began to, you know, fall back in love with my body, as I began to, you know, be willing to be critical but not from a self-loathing standpoint you know it began the journey back into the gym and back into physical fitness and back into cardio and then diet and, you know really those things all kind of trigger you know we can go off for days you know what what you put into your body you know well every cliche is true right so everything your grandparents told you you are what you eat and and so yes those things began to literally i feel like just change the way i thought and 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 it, and it did evolve me, and so you know, for me at least, it was like, what is my relationship to this cheeseburger? Or you know, am I stress eating? Or you know, am I bored? So I'm eat? Or do I, you know, as a as, as a southern you know Texas boy, as soon as you finish breakfast, you're thinking about lunch. It's like, what am I going to create for lunch? And so, I was like,
0: yeah, that's not exclusive to Southern Texas. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Every meal can not be like an explosion of flavor. Right. So it's like, you know, do you, do you, do you enjoy what you eat? Yes. But you know, are you, as I began to dump the junk food out of my mind and just be committed to fueling with rocket fuel, well, it's the same thing for my body. It's the same thing for my diet. It's the same thing for my faith. And it just, you know, it, it to your point, it gave me a framework to understand, you know, yes, I can have a cheat meal. Yes. I can watch, you know, a junk TV thing, but there's a difference of knowing, okay, this is my cheat meal. I'm going to watch, you know, Kardashian. I don't watch Kardashians, but like I'm going to watch Kardashians or whatever junk food you want to watch versus, you know, not realizing that you're intaking junk all day. And so by the time you get to what you think is junk, you look back and that's smut like i'm not watching that why would i put that to my body and so it's you know it's the awareness of understanding what your relationship is two different things
0: yeah and you know I, i like i really like how you put that i often just nutshell it down into the talking about how what what you feel into your mind is just as important as what you feel into your body and so often we don't pay attention to that. And the main reason why I think we don't pay attention to that is because we like to run on automatic in our lives. We don't like to spend too much energy on thinking about these things or having conscious awareness of it when it's easy to just do these things mindlessly And to have the TV on and say, Oh, having it on because I don't have to think about it. And it's like, well, even if you're not having to think about it, you're still absorbing whatever's going on on that screen. It's still kind of taking over your consciousness to some degree. You are consuming that, whether it's whether you're having to think about it or not. And similarly with diet or with anything in life, when we start to bring in the element of conscious awareness and ask ourselves, do I feel good after watching this? Is this benefiting me in any way? Am I, am I enjoying this? Is it helping me? Um, often the answer is no. And then it's like, well, do I actually want to do something about it? This isn't to say, you know, judges, like if, you, if you're happy with that, you, you know, stay, stay like that. It's your life. It's your decision. But if you're not, maybe do something about it. You know, I, I know from my own experience that uh, having uh, cut out a lot of news media from my life, like the news stations on the TV and uh, print media and you know, really restricting my media diet in those sorts of ways left me feeling a lot happier generally and uh, and a lot better in life. In fact, I actually did. I was recommended to do a, a media fast. So I took um, I took several weeks away from all TV and radio and and pretty limited like online stuff, just checking emails and things. And I'd have to say, you know, for what it did for me psychologically, I realized I felt so much happier because I wasn't absorbing all that junk, as you say. Was, that was the sort of mental junk food that was coming in. And we're getting bombarded with the, these things from all these areas now. So what you're saying is really important to at least... Bring a bit of conscious awareness into your life and say, do I really want to be absorbing this junk into my life? Or maybe I can at least restrict it. You know, it's like a bit of junk food now and again isn't too bad. But if it's uh, if it's all you're consuming, it's, uh, it's not a good diet.
1: Yeah, you know, it's so funny you say that. Um, eating, the feeling you get eating a cheeseburger is literally the same feeling you get. Watching a reality show or end-on-end end news media, right? So it's like you get the quick bite of, oh, okay, yes, this is, you know, this this feeds my palate. It, it, you know, satisfies my palate. Then it's like, well, I committed, so I guess I gotta finish this burger. Like I gotta finish this show, <laughs> and then by the time it gets to the end, it's like, why did I eat that? Uh, I, like I didn't even, you know. So you know, to that point, um, the first time I did a media cleanse, the first thing I realized was um damn i got a lot of extra time on my hands one but then two my mind was cleared up of stuff to think about right and but then three you with that empty space have time to think like like you're being i don't want to sound like you know whatever but it's like anything you consume consumes you Right, So you, it, it could be literally the weather channels So not even political news. It could be just, you know, the weather channel. Right. And so it's like you're thinking about hurricanes and tundras and tsunamis. Like tsunamis aren't even a part of our daily vocabulary. <laughs> right. But 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 because you're consuming it, even if it's not a predominant thought, it, it just ends up taking up space in your mind. And when you reclaim your mind, you know, back. I think that's when you get to amazing and, you know, I I, I read a quote that, you know, my my wife doesn't, I I use this card all the time. My wife doesn't love it, but um, I read a quote that Albert Einstein did not know his phone number or didn't know his address and his thought process was, I'll never fill up space in my head with things that I can reference. Right. And so, like, she'll ask me, like, did you get the thing on the list? So I'm like, I don't know. I, I, the list, did you, like, sit and tell me. I'm not filling my head with that stuff. Right. And so it's kind of the same thing. It's like, you know, why would I fill my head with the Weather Channel? you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning about like tsunamis in South Asia, uh, <laughs> like I mean, outside of education. Right. But just like it, it's on all day. They've got to tell you something. They're just filling your head with stuff so you can keep watching. And it's like, you know, okay, let me get what I need to your point. Let me get my five minutes of whether that's going to impact me um, and free my, my brain, free my body to create. And I think that that's one of the things that, um, you know, so many people today underestimate like we have a job no matter what you do whether it's technical or tactical like you you should be if you're a professional you should be an artisan right and so whether you know it's landscaping whether it's flipping burgers it doesn't matter what it is you know and again like you may need to make a a career pivot if you don't enjoy it but you know for the person who's who's a landscaper it's like you know somebody will say your job is cutting grass, Mm. but a person who enjoys what they do, who's an artisan, like your job is a curation and manuscript, you know, and manscaping um, of, 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 of a lawn, right. Of grass. And, you know, you look back over a break. That's the other thing too, is, you know, taking installed breaks before you get to depletion. Right. And so the idea isn't, to cut grass for an hour, then you're so tired that you're sitting under a tree and drinking drinking water, so not just to finish the job. You know, again, if you're a professional, you should be taking a step back, reflect on your work. And, and the, other, the other piece of it is, you should feel no more freer than when you're working in your art. Right. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, like you love every single part of your day. So maybe the maintenance of your equipment, maybe you don't love. But if you don't maintain it, you can't go and create this
0: art um, that the world needs. Yeah. And in general, people fall either into the category of consumer or creator for the most part. And whilst they may not be exclusively one or the other, if you actually look at people who are maybe making a difference, or the people who you're seeing doing stuff and taking action or um, having success in their lives or their businesses, Will almost certainly fall into the creator category and um, people who are are, are not t- what, spending all their time consuming all the entertainment. And the, so it's the, you know, I was just listening to an audio book this morning about talking about how, uh, talking about digital distractions and how much you know, we're sort of. Um, Emotionally and psychologically controlled by our devices, even now that we might uh, might just get into work and we've been looking at the news feed, we've been looking at all the disaster going on in the world, we've been uh, watching videos about how terrible things are politically, or like you say, the Weather Channel, and that's what we arrive into certain situations, or even sometimes our social situations with, and it's affecting it physiologically, it's affecting us, and psychologically, it's affecting us, but not in particularly good ways it's actually speeding us up speeding our heart rates up making us more nervous more tense and sometimes more angry and aggressive or um whereas i think you look at those sort of creator type people very much more, more focused on themselves what's going on in their own lives what they can have a, an effect over uh, where what they're learning in, in able to in order to be able to Advance themselves and a bit less focused on everything else that's going on in the outside world, especially stuff that doesn't really directly affect them. Like we think we need to be up to date with all of the news of everything that's going on. The vast majority of it doesn't actually affect us on a personal level, but we've just got into this idea that we're supposed to know everything that's going on in the world because that's what we get fed to them through news channels. And stuff. Well,
1: it, it, it's uh, it, it's the it's the idea um, that the movie sells us like a tin gap of popcorn. We got to keep chewing and, chewing and chewing and chewing and chewing and chewing, right? So, I had this conversation with one of my buddies. Uh, fantasy football is like a really, you know, big thing here in the states. And and you know, I'm a commissioner for our league. And um, one of the, one of the guys at league was like, you know, this guy got hurt. And this guy got traded you know, like you, you're not up on your moves. And and I said, well, here's, here's the thing you got to think about. Right. So, so the NFL calendar typically goes um, Tuesday is the beginning of the week through Monday. Right. So the, if you think about the overly engaged fantasy football, just as a micro example. So the uh, tray wire opens on Wednesday, on Thursday, there's Thursday night game. So you've got to adjust your roster on Friday is the first injury report. On Saturday is you know if you're proactive, you're making your modifications from that injury report. On Sunday are games. On Monday are games. On Tuesday you've got to check in to see if you won or lost your previous week. You're back to Wednesday, and huh. so like do, do you realize that you use this app? I mean even if it's for five minutes, right? But you use this app every single day like do you even use your calculator on your on your phone every day do you use your calendar every day like, like why do you use like i don't need i so for me right so to, to finish the thought i don't need to know the free agent wire so i'll set my schedule on thursday for the week i'll check it on sunday obviously if somebody's hurt i mean you know you got like 90 minutes before the first game starts from when the final list is revealed. And then when I check it back on Thursday, I get to figure out, I'll find out if I won or lost. <laughs> it just doesn't matter to me. And then his thought was like, well, yeah, but you're not up on it. And so there's a, there's a, a, a popular venture capitalist here in the U S. His name is Naval. Um I don't know how to pronounce his last name. So out of respect, I'll kind of just leave him at Naval. And he, he has this, this, this thought of the saying and he says you know play foolish games win foolish prizes (laughs) and i know so yes you know yet yes emmanuel like you're you're the fantasy football guru czar congratulations (laughs) like you know like like you, you know if you're making this foolish game important to you and so yes you may win this foolish prize so you're the first one in the group chat you know So-and-so went down and -and so-and-so got traded and it just kind of doesn't matter. But then the second is, you know, this app who is its primary purpose is to keep you updated on fantasy football also has football rumors and football trades and football standings and football stacks. And so before you know it, you you think or you claim you go in for 30 seconds just to kind of cleanse your roster and scrub your, you know, your, your settings. But before you know it, you're looking at, and the first thing it says is pick your favorite team. So when, so in the settings to download the app, the first thing they want to know is what is your favorite team so they can bombard you with news from your favorite team when you just went to go check the injury report. So, you know, what I'm not saying is like the word is conspiring against you. But what I am saying is, is exactly what you said. The moment you decide to make the hop from, from consumer to creator, you begin to understand that you know those there is a space for continual distraction um created by creators uh, and it's your choice to opt in and to opt out of that distraction
0: yeah, absolutely you know I, I think I didn't um fully for myself fully recognize how much that was uh, the case in my own life until I made the move from living in the u k to moving to Spain. And uh, whereas uh, a lot of uh, British people who moved to Spain try and kind of cre- recreate their English lives, try and have like a UK TV abroad and uh, all their sort of home comforts they have. And some parts of Spain kind of more or less have that and these all- almost little English communities. And I really didn't want that. I wanted to uh, to live a different experience. That was my whole purpose for um, initially for moving to live in another country. It's like I wanted a different life experience to what I'd always had living in the uk and i've traveled to many different places but i've never lived in other places and the more distant i got from everything that had kind of been normal and usual for me before the more it gave me a, a different perspective on it and i think it a bit of distance uh being able to take a step back from things gives you uh, more perspective the ability to see what's really going on but when you're in it you can't always see it but when you when you step back from things you can see a bit more clearly Um, and and can really start to evaluate whether it is serving you or not, whether it's what you really want to be doing, or reclaim your time and, and get some of your life back to do other things, to create more things, and, uh, and for me, as like you say, you said you said earlier, you found yourself with a lot more time. I had a very similar experience. I just had a lot more time that I found I could fill with things that were much more valuable to me and and did actually matter. Because so much of this stuff, as you rightly say, just doesn't matter. It's not really that important, and yet we end up making it important. Whereas we could actually be focusing on stuff that is more important or more valuable and could actually be making our lives and our families' lives and even our communities and the world a better place. So you've gone on from all of this into public speaking as well. When, when did that journey start for you?
1: I actually started my speaking career very early. Um, I was, uh, I guess, 26 um, twenty six and a nonprofit organization so I was working for the Texas at the time and a nonprofit organization from Stanford University was beginning to outreach into you know from like physically being hubbed at, at you know Palo Alto into different major cities in the u s and so they came into Houston and just kind of took appointments with all the pro sports teams just trying to you know plant some roots and so um Excuse me, my boss actually came into my office and said, hey, these guys from Stanford just came in and, you know, they're, they're talking about like the power of, of a double goal coach and like, you know, it seems that's something you'd be into. And so it's like teaching, you know, that we want to win, but more than winning is like teaching life lessons. And, you know, ideally those two things don't conflict, but when they do, like a double goal coach will value teaching the life lesson over the win. I was like, yeah, that sounds it does sound really interesting. And so he gave me this thick orange book, like this this two-inch like academic book, uh, called The Power of a Double Go Coach. And it just it just resonated with me. So I guess kind of to your point, you know, it was to me the realization that may have been the realization that like, wow, you know, the coaches I've had all my life, this is the doctrine that they valued. Maybe they didn't have the terminology you call it, but this is the ethos that they came from. Other people don't have this, (laughs) you know what I mean? And so, you know, that was the beginning of me, you know, really, that was square one of me just sharing my gift and sharing my experiences. And, you know, you, you realize, uh, not from a condescending place, but you realize how many people just haven't been exposed to the things that you've been exposed to, and so you know that was the beginning of me speaking. And from there, um, you know, I just uh, again as a competitive person I was like, okay, well, what what else do I have to contribute? Again, I'm young; I'm 26. You know, so one of the things that I learned very early in life is don't speak on things you don't know about. <laughs> and um, you look at celebrity after celebrity. Uh, the, I think the latest one that caught my attention was, was there's a guy here locally called Nick or named Nick Cannon. And he's kind of like a, he was like a teen star who became an adult, kind of goofy, quirky, kind of whatever. But he has like a niche in the like older teenage family. He hosts like the, you know, American Idol kind of type stuff. You know what I mean? Kind of a family guy, whatever is kind of his persona. He goes on like this anti-Semitic, like tirade. Uh, on a podcast and it's like dude this isn't even your area of proficiency (laughs) you know what I mean it's like what are you like stop talking if you don't know what you're talking about stop talking right and so um, that for me was how I went into public speaking and just you know like it's okay to learn something and be knowledgeable and you know either recite what you understand or share your takeaways for what you understand and even your opinion once you're up to speed but you know if if you don't know it so for years i spoke on athletics and i spoke on character education and i began to learn more about business and i began to speak about that and i just, you know began to learn about you know, just my my own purpose my own journey philanthropy you know from business was you know the conversation of you know culture and then understanding that the the unique dynamic of being a black man in America versus being an American and you know, just understanding, you know, that there is kind of this, this gamut and then, you know, well-being and purpose and intention and, you know, understanding that as a person who is uh, a person who is systemically disadvantaged as a person of color, you know, what, what vehicle do we have to provide hope, optimism, and I share the American dream. And a lot of that does kind of sit in capital and, and money and wealth. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I did make the, you know, foot in the ground decision to begin the journey of creating generational wealth for my family. Um, just because, again, like, you know, for your, for your American listeners, you know, home ownership, which is the primary foundation of wealth over legacy was not available to people of color until 60 years ago. Like we literally could not own. Right. And so, you know, you may look at a counterpart and you're, you're, apples to apples on everything else, but when COVID hits and, you know, they can't afford their rent, well, they can go stay in, you know, Aunt Shirley's rent home or whatever. And so it's like, yeah, we just, we don't have that level of assurance and insurance in our culture. And so, you know, how do we how do we have that conversation and how do we inquire others or gauge others to understand where they are in that path and so if if it's not important to you it's not important but you know as as you talked about Vera early in this conversation at some point you know the gravitas of everything comes to money and capital and so you know you want to you want to give your life to say rescue pets or what i'm not a big pet person but like rescue pets right and this is what you're supposed to be doing well if there's not a foundation for you to be able to take care of your needs you can't take care of sparky's needs if your needs aren't being met and so you know oftentimes money is such a uncomfortable thing that we just kind of step over it in our conversation or step over it in the design of our life but it's one of the baseline, you know, kind of Maslow baseline things that, you know, if you step over it, your foundation isn't set. And, yeah. you know, it took me a long time to figure that out.
0: is interesting because I, I teach actually currently part through a cycle of teaching program um, that is... Um, wealth coaching program but it's uh, essentially starting with the, the basis of financial freedom to build wealth upon that sort of foundation for people and one of the things even just last night when i was speaking to my uh my class of students um we talk about as i often will talk about with the um, and the things that we grow up with believing that may come from our family's experience, often with money and uh, and, and with wealth, and will come from school, will come from media, will come from our general communities as well. All the things that you've been accustomed to, and maybe as a child just wouldn't necessarily have had the. Uh, in the, the um, insight to question them um just just accept them as that's how it was and that those are the experiences you grew up with and the, so the things that people around you were saying about money the experiences they're having what they were doing or whether they were looking after the money well or not is most likely what you're doing with with your money later in life unless you actually do something about creating uh, a, a new, new set of beliefs for yourself that are actually going to be empowering because most people have uh, have a whole set of beliefs and systems and experiences that are unsupportive to their future. And, and it may even be, as you're saying, from, from the black experience in, in America, where that has been you know, very much set up uh, you know, historically against you being successful Whereas, you know, even now it's still playing sort of catch up. It's like starting a, starting a race from a, a mile behind. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, a, a lot of work to do to catch up, but you can still work on building that solid foundation and creating something better and then passing that, you know, you're thinking general, generationally and legacy-wise, passing that on for the future as well. So I mean, it's uh, it's really important stuff, but to understand that, uh, it's not it's not our fault that if if you have a, a mind that's full of thoughts and beliefs that are unsupportive to your own wealth and your own financial future that has been your conditioning that's been your programming over the years but you can actually change it
1: yes um you know everything you said is so true and and <clears throat> for me it it came a c- a couple of different ways so the first one was one of the so while I didn't hear growing up money is a root of all evil or anything, you know, I didn't hear anti, but what I saw was, was unhealthy money habits. Right. And so one of the statements I heard was might as well. Right. So I've worked all week, might as well, blank, like, you know, like and so, might as well. It's like the instant gratification uh, that money does create, right. I mean, money gives you the liberty to do what you want to do, but you know, it's you're playing the idea of playing the short game all your life and never playing the long term game and so that was the first thing the second thing that you know I, I realized this as you you triggered something to make me connect these dots that maybe i hadn't before um i had an experience where i had a family member still my identity um in college and so this was early 2000s when you know you could you couldn't make it to class without somebody trying to shove a credit card down your throat. You know what I mean? It's like $200 right. credit limit. It's like $200, you know, yes. <laughs> Let alone, how do you pay it back? So I actually had a creditor call my head coach, um, looking for me for an outstanding credit card balance or whatever. Um, and when I say he, he called me to his office and chewed me and, you know, Caught me number one off guard because I I I literally didn't know what he was talking about, which knows what most eighteen year olds would say, right? And I'm like, no, you know, know, almost fighting tears, like I have no idea, like this is not good, like what do I do? And this is, you know, well before, you know, identity theft was even like a term, right? And so it's like I don't, you know, so you finish school and you figure out what a credit report is and you look at your credit report and and it was, I mean. Maybe six hundred bucks, but not even enough to you know. I mean, six hundred bucks was a lot of money in college. I mean, not, <laughs> it was a lot of money in you know, in hindsight. But how many like six hundred bucks, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And so, so my thought, John, was this: somebody ruined my credit for six hundred bucks, and this is you know maybe three or four years of it of it hitting you, dinging your credit, right, the, the interest going up. So. You know, it may have been, let's just say $4,000 by the time, the bill, by the time I was mature enough to address it. Um, And I just remember saying to myself, like, somebody ran me for $4,000 and all I have is the bill for it. I didn't even get to enjoy, right? It'd be different if I made the bad choice and it's like, yeah, 600 bucks or 4,000 bucks and I had the time of my life. I didn't even get to enjoy you know, the $4,000 of debt that was on my credit report. Um, and it left me bitter. And so I was like, I'm not paying that. Like, like why would I pay it if I didn't do it? Not not understanding, you know, how to challenge fraud. I mean, just, you know, just young, right? And so, you know, that hampered not only my credit, <laughs> but that hampered my my financial IQ for years because I just had the you know, going back to childhood, right? Might as well. And so it's like, well, they screwed my, that's that, you know, like, screw it. I pay for things cash and, you know, I know how to make a little bit of money and just screw it. And and it, it, it set me back, you know, years until, I mean, it's almost embarrassing for me to, it, not just that incident, but I'm saying that mindset, just, it, it, it just haunted me until I realized like, oh, like your creditors, your credit report isn't permanent i mean i thought it was like a permanent scar um, like for the rest of my life whatever and so it's like well no like anything in life things can rehabilitate you can earn you can learn you know you can show your body of work and so you know the might as well mentality that i grew up with or was exposed to was like no it's a long-term game so like yes this Paying on your credit may impact you for 90, 120 days or six, whatever it is, right? But it's like, but if you're playing the long-term game, you know, it, it's actually this big. And, and you know, when you file the fraud thing, it's like, wow, magically, 90% of this problem is gone away because they've done their own research, and, right? So the point I'm making is, you know, your situation is is only as permanent as you allow for it to be. Um and you know i mean, I think that applies to life you know my, i had a birthday about a month ago and and my takeaway from that birthday was uh you're only as blessed as you choose to recognize that you are and um you know that was uh that gave me peace mm. in celebrating a birthday in covid which is
0: you know not how you typically would, would celebrate no, no no yeah my my birthday came in March, just as we'd started quarantine, <laughs> and uh, l- luckily, luckily for me, I was able to to get out to a shop where I could get a, a cake, and we were still able to to celebrate it a little bit at home. But certainly, far from far from ideal. But I, even then, I was appreciating that I was able to able to do that. And there were people in far worse situations with all of this, and people who were like, separated from. Their, their loved ones, their families, and uh, not able to get to them, and some of them, and it separated while they're in hospital and uh, having treatment. And you know, so, so you know, as, as much as it wasn't very pleasant, I certainly was still counting my blessings at the same time. And uh, and I think that's something to uh, uh, that we we should all you know, perhaps remind ourselves. It's not not to say it could always be worse, but to say say actually maybe it's not quite as bad. You still have. Things to be grateful for, you know. I I often attribute the practice of gratitude to, in many ways, having saved my life. Not that I was going to kill myself or anything like that, but but that um, I was just in such a dark place for a long time that that's what brought me out of it. That's what helped bring me through it. It took a while. It took practice, but uh, you know, I, that's why I still keep that practice of gratitude in my life now because that's an that's the energy that I want to be living in. I want to appreciate what's here. I want to recognize that you know, there's there's impermanence to life. Not everything you have is gonna last. It doesn't mean to say you should just like live each day as if it's your last and uh you know spend spend all the money you have. It really for me it just means appreciate what's good in your life what here whilst it's here now. Instead of worrying that it's going to be gone or trying to hold on to it, which I think is what a lot of people try to do except that life has a flow and that it's not always going to be this good. So I appreciate it now. It's just going to be different later on. But you know, the, the things you love and and appreciate or often take for granted in life now may not always be there. So be grateful for them now. Love them and you know, be in the moment. You'd love the experience now and prepare for the future as best you can as well because you know, we, we know that... Um, life can be tough life can be can seem cruel but it's just life and and that's all the stuff that's going to go on but our attitude to it and now our, our, how we approach our day uh, and, and our life experience in general determines the life we get to lead determines the experience of life we get to have we can either have that be a a joyful experience of life, where we appreciate everything that's good in life, or we can have it be a, a pretty miserable experience of life, where we're just waiting for the next person who's going to rip us off, or the next bad thing that's going to happen, or the next big outrage, or the uh, whatever else is going to potentially go wrong. Is like that's that? So much of that comes down to our focus.
1: And and you know, <clears throat> whichever one you're looking for is what you're going to find. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. You- that. <laughs>
0: Exactly that. Uh, you, you, uh, you took a journey even deeper into content creation by becoming an author as well. And so I know you're primarily here to talk about your, your new book, which is winning the first quarter of the day. Now, you're going to have to explain to, to me and to the non-American audience what the title means because a lot of us <laughs> aren't going to get the football reference there.
1: Yes. So, um, so I did... Um, I sat, so I I realized about a year, almost a year ago. Wow, that you know, I call myself a creator, um, a creative, and an entrepreneur's body, right? And so I wrote my first book. Uh, it came out October nineteenth, and so almost almost a year ago to to the to us filming this in twenty nineteen, and that experience of of writing my first book. Uh, from a business perspective, I typically work in the service space, right? So building athletic courts or even speaking, it, you know, is more of a service than a product. And so um, this is my first actual product and I, I really enjoyed. So while it is so laborious to create, once it's created, it's created, <laughs> right? And so um, I did like a six city tour, uh, book tour to promote the, the book and the question that I kept getting asked was like, you know, how do you do so much one day? You're in the community and you do work with these groups and, you know, like your families. And, you know, I didn't have a really good answer other than I win the first quarter of my day. I, I get up early, you know, so so we, we're recording this uh at three thirty in the morning here in Houston. Um I typically get up at at, at three thirty anyway. So I just got up at two thirty instead of three thirty, and you know, it's like just start your day, you know what I mean and so uh um so I, I took that back to my team and you know we're so we're sitting with with kind of our my, my consulting content creation team and you're like you know wow is there something here with how you start your day that could benefit like our client group and you know it's like I, I don't know you know so like we'll, we'll, we'll write down what you do every day and so I kind of ended up mapping it out, and you know we were able to kind of wireframe it and, and give it some structure. And we just really began to beta test it on our consultancy. And uh, you know what I'd say is, uh, for a person who drinks soda all day every day, waking up at four o'clock to start your day is like instantly drinking water all day. I mean, it just changes your your chemical makeup, right? right? And so um after about a month or two of that and it was like you know from week one to week two so the, like that tuesday seven o'clock client you speak to them at tuesday the next week and they're like wait a minute like i, I feel great like i'm I stressed today and i walked and walked the dog and so you kind of end up with that base you know that of uh, the mountain effect of like wow okay this is something that number one i kind of created for myself that i should have been sharing um, but two, like it's really helping people. How do I get this into as many hands as possible? And um so we started writing the curriculum for the course, uh, you know, again from that wireframe. And actually, ironically enough, in March was when we were fit started slated to start filming the course, and that was like the day that we started was the day that everything shut down. And so right. um so, yeah. So so the premise of winning the first quarter of your day, it is a sports analogy. And, and it's the course is created using a pedagogy curriculum, which is like the art of teaching. Right. So it, it has actionable items and, you know, it's very easy to consume. But the, the premise is essentially, you know, you take your best footballer, as you guys say over there, your best soccer player. You know, you take your best boxer, sprinter. The idea that Usain Bolt walks into a coliseum and runs a sub, you know, 10-second, you know, 100-meter dash, he didn't just walk over and do that. He did that in the off season. He prepared in the off season. It got manifested, you know, that night. But the idea that if you can win the first quarter of your day, if you can win the off season of your day, by the time you get to your desk, that's Usain Bolt strapping up his cleats and, and, and sitting into the anchors to, to get ready to take off. So really mapping out that, you know, I call it four to eight o'clock window, but just the four the first four hours before you formally start your day or get to your desk. That's when the magic happens. And so, you know, that's the premise of the of the course is, you know, hear the best practices that not only that I use, but one of the cool things about writing the book last year was I had a chance to not only do very deep research on highly successful people, I actually interviewed uh, like 14 um, millionaires um half of them are self-made and you know a part of those interviews were like you know help me understand your day and what you do and so I was able to actually extract from those interviews and say like wow you know number one this is somewhat validating because some of these principles I do or wow this is something I never even used before let me add this to my technique and then you know you kind of comprise it give it framework and then again here it is
0: for me to you. so what what does that what does the very start of your morning look like then
1: the very start of my morning looks like so as, as a bit of context um one of the downsides of being so driven and so competitive is you know i can struggle with anxiety a little bit and so uh the very first thing i do is i ask god for grace or i thank him with gratitude Like the very first thing so when I open my eyes and I put my feet on the ground, you know, I'm, I'm asking myself. In this very moment, do you need grace? Do you need to calm that anxiety down or are you able to give gratitude and just be thankful? Right. So literally, you know. Asking for grace as I physically get up and hope that my knees and my joints don't hurt right? And make your way to the bathroom and asking for grace for, you know, the clarity to start your day and keeping everything tranquil and calm and, you know, or is it popping up and just being grateful for like really delicious toothpaste, right? So like you remember when toothpaste used to be like peroxide or like baking soda that was disgusting. And it's like, well, I'm just thankful for this this is toothpaste. And, you know, thank you for this mouthwash that's going to keep my breath calm all day. You know what I mean? So just like, being able to understand where your energy is to start your day understands or, or helps you helps you identify what you need to call on from your higher being or whatever it is that you practice, right? So, you know that's the first thing. And then I'm sure, like you, you know, being being platooned, I, I typically travel at least two or three times a week for work. And so, you know, while it is super fun. You know, initially, and you still do enjoy travel, there are times when you feel insecure, um, you know you're missing moments, you know that you're leaving the people that you love the most to go provide for them, but ultimately, it's tough. And so, you know, another thing that that I typically do to start my day is just make my way around my house and just watch the people that I love sleep, Um, which kind of sounds creepy out of context (laughs) right but you know there is something to just watching your daughter at peace and understanding that you know yeah daddy's got a heavy load to put on his back today but i can at least do it knowing that you know you're peaceful you're tranquil you're happy and you know that is the beginning of what i think being a professor is about and it's it's you know not doing the stuff you want to do but doing the stuff that's required to do to move that needle forward so you know, the, the, the first, the way the course is set up is set up in what I call modules. And then within that are plays. And so the first module is called open your eyes. And so like, these are the things that I do or these are the things I suggest you do when you first open your eyes. And then from that, there's six plays that talk about, you know, kind of, you know, the way to get your day started.
0: Great. So it's, so it's easy to follow through and you've kind of uh, done it like like a football coach with the game plan and uh here's <laughs> how to here's how to approach it. Uh, take take on the day uh and uh to you know, tackle tackle the obstacles uh the opponents that come up those kinds of things yeah
1: that's right you know it's funny you say that i didn't i, yes, I didn't realize it but <laughs> you know i think um one of one of the plays uh in 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 the course and so so most of it is uh growth mastery you know psychological applications you know the last the last the last module is called um the the two-minute drill so this is when you're physically at your desk and these are like best practices to just start your day so you know there's so much fuss about elon musk and how he 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 segments his days into these four minute periods and, you know, he may work on Tesla for four minutes, on SpaceX for eight minutes. And, you know, I think the business world marveled at that. Um, you know, four minute segments in the athletic space started with John Walsh in the San Francisco 49ers, like in the seventies. And so like any, by the time you get to like a high caliber high school, or like college level, your practice plan, if it's two hours, is actually thirty four minute blocks, right? And so, not to burst people's like I'm a big you know Elon Musk fan, but it's like he didn't invent that; he just kind of brought it over from this other space. And so, the idea is, you know, typically within four minutes. And so, most times there's more than one four minute segment. So I don't think that he's working on, you know, Tesla emissions for four minutes and then like SpaceX you know, like nuclear science for four, but you kind of group your four minute segments to keep you on track. And so, you know, the idea to your point of coaching is, you know, yes, this is our game plan for the day. We're not working on individual for two hours. We're not working on inside hub and seven on seven for two hours. We're not working on team and special teams, and right? So it's like, you know, you've got to, to structure your time to get the most out of your day, understanding that you know time is yours to serve, or you know t- time is there to serve you, not the other way around.
0: Yeah, and and that none of us none of us actually have to reinvent the wheel. I mean, uh, it's um no, they say all these principles have have been there before. I think one of the things we're seeing. Uh, a lot now you know we, we kind of live in a very postmodern world anyway where our ideas are being recycled but we're also seeing a lot that people are, are dipping into what has worked historically and streamlining stuff so although you might not um not, not everything you hear or see here or see is going to be completely original the way it's presented or the way you might be understanding it could be the thing that is original about it that maybe then makes sense to you. It's like uh, you know, people may have worked on morning routines before, but the way that you present a morning routine and the way to start your day is going to be unique to what you've learned and to the, to the things that the tools and the techniques and the philosophy and the principles that you can bring into your life and your day that are going to help other people as well. So it's like may may not be all completely original, but the packaging together, the way it's presented is because it's come from your unique perspective and your own life experience and what's worked for you.
1: Yeah, you know, that's the key, right? And so from a creative perspective, it requires a hubris of, you know, I didn't invent waking up early. I mean, like I said a few moments ago, like a big chunk of these practices, I looked at folks who were more successful than me and figured out how to aggregate what they did and to make it make sense for me and so you know one example of that the second the second play a second module in the course is called shake your tail feather and we talk about physical fitness and being active you know i'm not saying like when we get off of this call i'm going to go to the gym and work out and and you know run and stretch and and you know get a workout in i'm not saying you got to go work out like coach cam like if you being physically fit means setting a yoga mat in front of your TV and watching YouTube and doing yoga, like that's you being physically fit. And so, no, you're exactly right. It's not, you know, one thing I want, I'm not claiming to reinvent the wheel. What I'm saying is I've spent a couple of years learning a number of different wheels and I've kind of aggregated my own wheel that makes sense for me. And I think that the other side of that from the creative standpoint is, you know, a, a, one of the, one of the most astute points that you made earlier is everything isn't for everybody. And so, you know, the way that I present best practices to start your day may not be the best fit for a person. And that's okay. There's, there's someone else, or there's another framework that may make sense for you. And the more authentic you can be as a creator, you know, they say that your vibe attracts your tribe. And I think that that's so true. And so, you know, the people who have taken the course, you know, regardless of athletic ability or knowledge of skill set, they like to be coached, and I think that there's a natural lending hand to the athletic background of coaching, to you know the the more conventional, more modern version of it. And so, you know, yeah, I don't um I think that that is uh, one of the challenges of the technological space that we live in is it gets so easy to uh, siphon. Uh, knowledge and information and, and pose it as your own. When in actuality, the greats, the legends, I mean, you, you think from, you know, from uh, Aretha Franklin to Ray Charles, you know, even though their sound was unique and completely something you never heard before, they'll go right back and credit, you know, and, and credit uh, Fats Domino. And they'll go back and create, you know, and credit the folks who can who went before them. Who they just siphoned off a bit of their
0: uh, inspiration and then migrated with their own originality, and and that's been the you know, the evolution for, for them. That's continued along through through other people as well. It's that the evolution isn't just one process that happens with one person. It's that like we all play our part in uh, in the the way things develop for the future as well. And so we can either be playing a positive part in that or we can be passive bystanders, but we're still playing a part and uh, we're still, we're still involved in creating the future for, for ourselves and for our world as well. So, uh, no, whilst, whilst everything may not be for everyone, you know, I think there's also a tendency for people, especially with things like personal development books or talks to feel to, to want it to be prescriptive. To want it to be like, I want you to give me that magic pill that's going to solve everything and just give it to me, rather than is like, well, actually, no. You, you are, you have to be responsible as an individual for taking the stuff that does jive for you, that does work, and sort of yeah, that fits for me, that fits in my life, and that works for me, and distinguishing that from the stuff that doesn't fit for you, that doesn't work for you. I'm not just saying that, that that's wrong. It's like it's, it may work for you, it may not, but you're only going to find out by trying. You're only going to find out if your life improves. From doing these things by giving them a go, um, but you have to be responsible for for taking the action and for figuring out what works for you. Take the take the stuff that's valuable. Now I read a lot of. Philosophy and some of its you know, quite ancient philosophy, and you know, we talked uh, a little while before we were recording. We were talking a bit about Stoicism and things, and I've, I've done uh, um, a call, uh, uh, an episode about that recently as well. But this, these are the philosophical ideas from um, from ancient times that are still very relevant and valid today. Is every single bit of it going to be relevant and applicable to life? Maybe not. Is every single bit of it going to be something you agree with and, and, and something you have to use? maybe not, but the bits that you do and the bits that do work for you, you should absolutely take them. And so uh, you know, there's always this, this kind of danger with wanting someone to be a guru. It's like well, you know um, nobody has all of the answers. Everyone has a piece mm-hmm. of the puzzle, and so we should be getting there. we should hopefully be finding those pieces of puzzles in in multiple places from multiple teachers and uh and and getting our lessons and and creating what works for us because we are all unique individuals we need to figure figure these things out but it is that journey so it's not saying that you know you always um no you take definitely take a book like yours and apply it and then you're going to see what actually works for you what fits with your life and what benefits you And maybe some bits don't so much. So you might leave those, but focus on the bits that do. So I think that that is the really important part with all this. Uh, You said everything isn't for everybody, but um, everyone can benefit from trying to do things that are going to improve their day-to-day experience and and benefit their life long-term.
1: Yes. Um, One of the things that I learned, I love about stoicism so much. And, you know, I believe that the root of everything is simplicity and so if you if you rewind the beginning of our show of the beginning of our episode we talked about the clouded mind and cnn and fox and weather channel espn one through six right like epictetus didn't have that <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> he had time to think you know what i mean and so um he had time to reflect and and you know even when you think about like the laborious workday, and so for someone who was a serf for a peasant and like working a 10 or 12 hour job you know pulling potatoes out of the ground like that's kind of mindless work you know what i mean so it's like you you're still able to think and reflect and you know and and have a level of you know i think that one of the most beautiful things of ancient culture no matter where you look geographically is there was a a people had depth to them right and so they understood the their value system in a number of different parts of their life versus to your point it being microwaved boxed you know and handed to you it's like no here's how i feel about setbacks Here's how I feel about legacy. Here's how I feel about adversity. Here's how I feel about, um, you know, vengefulness and spite. And here's how I feel about my insecurities, right? And so, um, you know, there is, you know, in coaching, they say, like, there's nothing new and there's not, right? And so the, the same scheme that's, you know, creating success for your favorite team you know, was typically either invented a long time ago or to your point, somebody else put their little spin on something they learned a long time ago. But at the end of the day, you know, the foundations of what it takes for a man, for a man to live, for a person, not just, you know, man, but for a person to live um, are beautifully simple. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that if you can humble yourself to go back in time to when time was simpler that you're you're presented with all of these beautiful gems that just make the answer that make the weather channel stuff just not important.
0: <laughs> yeah, is it's, it's I, I forget where I was uh came across this recently, but someone was talking about some advice that uh, the um from from Barack Obama about taking uh taking an hour into your day just to think. Uh, and that uh, he considered that to be a valuable piece of advice, and uh, and you know certainly I know for myself the times in my life where I do take maybe not a full hour but where I do take a bit of time out maybe just to sit and think and to not pick up the phone but let you know push through the feeling of boredom and uh, and uh, the the antsyness of to check something check your emails or social media or whatever and just sit and be bored for a bit and allow yourself to think. Uh, that has real value. And we we rarely have those times in our lives. And, and the more I do it, the more uh, I find that I, I appreciate it when I do. And it is that thing you know, I was talking about earlier about taking those steps back from our lives to be able to see things more clearly. And, and you're right, it helps us to know how we actually feel about things when we take some time to give ourselves the opportunity to think about them. you know, I know from like, creating content myself and writing articles and books myself that um, sometimes I don't really know how I feel about it until I've been thinking about it, writing about it, speaking about it. That helps That's me right. to, solidi- to get more uh, solidity on what my own opinions are and how I think and feel about things. That, that, has, re- that has real value for all of us
1: yeah so, so two thoughts on that you know we, we made reference to nick cannon earlier just kind of like rambling and running his mouth well if you don't give yourself that space to sit and be still that's the end product right? right the second thing is is it and you said it so perfectly um you know f scott fitzgerald you know the great gatsby there's this line in the book and he says something along the lines of like boring people get bored And so it's like, if you're, so there's nothing wrong with being bored, right? But like staying bored means that you're boring. But to your point, if I can be still, yes, I'll come through a space of being bored, but guess what? Being still, you know, physically allows my mind to be active. And even if that doesn't mean taking on a task, but just the, the space of thought. And even if that thought doesn't lead to action, you know, the idea of being bored all day speaks more to, I think, uh, a person's uh, lack of depth versus, you know, something to do.
0: Yeah. I know. I, I talked about sort of some of the, the darker times that I've had in my life. Uh, one of the things that, and I said about gratitude bringing back, but also not like, just walking in nature without the, without my phone, without my headphones in just walking in nature, um, just having that connection was, was valuable and you know, seeing having the natural world around is, is valuable but it was that time to think whilst i was walking to not fill my head with uh, everything else that was going on but actually to just take that time away from things uh, and having that time to think that that helped me in so many ways and and often it is that we don't we don't give ourselves that uh, that space to even do that that we're not just missing out we're probably uh having uh, greater stress to our lives to our brains and uh and, and not really not really seeing where we are in the place. We're often too in our lives, too in the drama, to be able to take those steps back and be able to give ourselves the distance we need to be able to manage these things more effectively. I'm I'm aware I'm aware that you know, I I'm loving the conversation and I'm but I'm also aware that you know you've got a day to start yourself and 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 to, to get to the gym and do your workout. So so I want to, I want to start bringing things to a close, but I have really been enjoying chatting to you. And um, yes. now we have uh, we have talked about a bit about your book. Now is, is that already available?
1: Yeah, so the course is available now. It's um it's available on coachcamcourses.com. Uh, The course when the first quarter of your day can be found there. The book Alpha Redefined, I actually converted that into a PDF version again in COVID, trying to be aware, trying to make these cost effective. We've got a few physical copies left, but just, just making it digital to make it accessible to folks. And then I also created a digital magazine during COVID, just again, just in the creative space. It's called Crown and Glory Magazine. It's complimentary and that can also be found.
0: On uh, CoachCamCourses.com. Fantastic. Well, we'll make sure that the links to your course is are in the show notes. As well for people to go and check those out. And I hope, that, I hope that they will, because I you have you have a lot of great content. You, you sent me through uh, before we spoke uh, some of your information. It's really it was really motivational, really inspiring. You have a great a great take on things and uh, you know just just you know your whole energy from from everything we've been talking about today, you know, you, you've thought about things, you have a, a calming, strong, calming, steady influence that uh, that I think comes across from, from everything you do. So um, there's going to be a lot of value there for people. So I encourage everyone to, to go and find out more, more about you and more about your courses. You said that you, um, your, your goal is to read um, a, book every, a book every month, is it, or a book every year, uh, every week? A book a week. A book a week. So like, like yourself, I'm an avid reader. And so one of the things I'd like to ask my guests, other than your own books, if i was to ask you what's a book you think i i should read or any of my audience should read or check out maybe something you've read recently or something that has really stood out for you as being one of the books is going to have it's going to have a really powerful effect on you what would it be
1: oh so so that's that's a tricky one right so so you always want to say the last one you read right because it's it's always so good um uh, the the book that i read this year I've actually read it three times. And so, so I, I will say this, right? So I think that, you know, the machoism of like 52 books sounds great. But if you don't master those books, so there, there's been about three books that I've read multiple times. And each time you you get another takeaway from it. Um, the book that I'd say this year that was the game changer for me is the book Principles by Ray Dalio. Um, right. Ray Dalio is is a VC guy here in the states. Uh, He's, I think, like formally retired from venture capital, and you know, I mean, like most people who have a lot to contribute, I think has spent the last quarter of his life framing up what it is that he's set to give the world. And and the book Principles, um, as a creative who has really spent the last two years sitting in the analytical side, sitting in my, I'll spend the last two years sitting in my deficiency, right? So, you know, analytical thought process systems to be able to scale are my natural deficiencies. And But again, I'm competitive enough to work at it to, for them to become a strength. And what the book Principles provided for me was, you know, principles, but more important, like a framework to see life. And to understand that, you know, when you build an amazing team, that you actually want to seek, not just the people who have strengths out are your flaws, but you want to seek beautifully diverse people and put them in a box and shake them up because that's where greatness happens. And from that, you're able to identify a person's natural strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, I think the second takeaway that, that, you know, is so key that he actually probably understated in the book is, you know, you, you breach greatness when you care more about finding the truth than you care about being right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that means that you have to be devoid of ego, right? So I don't care if I'm right. I want the right answer, (laughs) right? Even if it doesn't come from me. And I think that, you know, that's what that's what success. That that's when that's when the gravy of life gets a little sweeter. Is I know that, you know what my team is creating or what my team is working on is getting us to the right answer. Because I'm humble enough to move out of the way because I may not be the person to have the right answer, but together as a group, we can figure this out.
0: Great stuff. So as we bring things to an end, are there any closing thoughts you would like to leave our audience with today?
1: Um, You know, if I were to have a closing thought, it would be um, pain is a trigger for learning. And I challenge you to figure out a difficult, I challenge you to figure out what difficult problem you want to solve this year um no matter you know for, for our listeners no matter what space it is again, whether it is pets and you know humane society stuff, whether it's you know water situations, whether it's you know spending time with with kids in your community um reading to them or just being being a point of reference for them, figure out you know this world has plenty of problems and it has plenty of amazing people who can fix them
0: Figure out what you can tap into to 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 be a change fantastic stuff uh i i hope from this that many people are going to go and go out there and start winning the first quarter of their day and changing their worlds and their lives for themselves and coach cam thank you so much for coming and being my guest today and for sharing these knowledge bombs and uh, wisdom and insights It's, it's been a real joy to speak to you. thank you john i appreciate the opportunity Thanks for tuning in. Remember to like and subscribe and leave a review if you're on Apple Podcasts or a comment on YouTube. Why not grab yourself a copy of my new ebook, The 12 Key Beliefs of Bulletproof Business Speakers available from the link in the show notes. If you think you'd make a great guest on the show or you know someone who would, please do contact me, john at presentinfluence.com. And if you'd like to know more about presentation skills and public speaking training, please do visit presentinfluence.com. You'll find lots of great information there as well as the link. to my free ebook next week i'll be speaking to one of my public speaking heroes winner of the 2001 world championship of public speaking and one of toastmasters accredited speakers he is the creme de la creme when it comes to public speaking someone who i have learned loads of great stuff from over time and he shares a lot of great content on that chat so please join me next week when i will be speaking to darren Lacroix. So remember to like and subscribe to the channel and see you next time.